0: Hello and welcome to Coffees Ready podcast, a snapshot of people and their stories. My name is Francisco Heredia and I am your host. Coffees Ready is a podcast where I sit together with people to drink coffee and have a little chat. What I'm looking for are the stories that are not typically shared over an everyday conversation, because we all have those kind of stories and they shape the person that we are today. Coffees Ready is a platform for people to share experiences. Valeria Villegas Lindval is the doctor of horror. She studies the link between films, gender representation, and the Latin American identity. In this episode, she speaks about her findings as a researcher, her life in Sweden, and the importance of music in her life. This conversation was recorded on March 16, 2019. And now the coffee is ready. Making a goal between Eindhoven and uh, Gothenburg. What is what is actually the right pronunciation of it? Well,
1: you can yeah, Gothenburg in English, but in, in Swedish, I think it sounds very funky. It sounds very cool. You're the boy. You're
0: the boy, okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it has like this kind of happy ring to it, and people here are known for being really upbeat and really happy, and they're usually very very kind. Mm. So it's, I think the the name matches the the spirit of the city. Oh, that's nice. It has kind of this vibe of being a coastal town and a fishing kind of town. And I think it's kind of funny. I mean, because in Swedish, West Coast is vest Coast. Mm-hmm. People say it's the best coast. <laughs> so ah, when you come yeah. here, it's just like, welcome to the best coast. And I think that's really charming because a lot of the a lot of the stuff regarding the actual town is like very much oriented to the fact that they have a very long tradition of fishing. And yeah, a lot of stuff related to the maritime. I had I, never lived in a place like this. Actually, we have like one of those spheres where there are you know, this thing that I find charming mm-hmm. because it's not something common to have ferry transportation. So I lived it in Stockholm before, but that kind of relation that people have to the city also being a little bit less concrete and a little bit more water it's really really nice i mean it's something that i really treasure from gothenburg because of that fishing coastal kind of spirit doesn't feel like i don't know maybe mexico city would feel
0: you mentioned mexico and mexico city because originally you are from there as well
1: yeah i was born and raised there and moved to sweden interminatively in like in in several passages of my life mm-hmm. but now i'm here for good
0: uh, when people arrive to parties first interaction between people is what do you do for a living so to get that out of the way could you please tell us a little <laughs> bit about that
1: yes well right now I am a doctoral candidate and I'm working towards my doctorate mm-hmm. in studies at the University of Gothenburg and what I uh, my research is based on Latin American horror films. Mm-hmm. it is like an in-depth engagement with Latin American horror films through the lens of feminist philosophy mm-hmm. and the colonial philosophy so I am just Yeah, right now, actually, I'm writing the the dissertation and doing other things that will help me develop the the research. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's exciting. It's fun.
0: Okay. Mm -hmm. Why did you choose horror?
1: Well, originally, I wanted to do something that spoke a little bit more to my MA thesis. My MA thesis was about, you know, that time uh, when drug dealing telenovelas and drug dealing films started becoming really popular? Yeah. Um so I my study was around that mm-hmm. and it was not about the characters themselves but about the idea of what is Mexico contemporary Mexico and what it means to be Mexican. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to extend that a little bit more because I still had that question somehow what does it mean to be Latin American and how is it that people through experiences of fear or experiences that are not they're not necessarily news like uh, would experience or make a sense of what it means to be Latin American in a Latin American format. So I'm very interested in the representation of, of identity, <clears throat> more so because, I mean, for a scholarship, there's a lot of it, mm-hmm. but I'm really interested in what informs or what influences the representation of female bodies, especially monstrous female bodies. Yeah. So I work with stuff has to do with uh, werewolves or uh, witches which is now a very popular topic Um, so I wanted to make the shift to something that was probably less known because I don't think that necessarily Latin America is all about (laughs) problems such as drug dealing and so forth but there's so much more that scholarship doesn't cover yet
0: yeah well I kind of can relate to this idea because the first thing I'm, I'm also from Mexico the comment that you get when you say, I'm from Mexico, they say, oh, yeah, do you have any drugs, right? Because that's now what, yeah. what's currently uh, the, the identity of, of yeah, Latin Americans, I think.
1: Yeah, and I think it's so important, not only the fact that one is capable of being more complex in what, what we put out uh, about what it means to be Latin American, but also the very vast history that there is and why isn't it things like that, but the very fact that we are asked, <laughs> because I have also been asked yeah, I can um, like a number of times uh, regarding, uh, like, oh, the drug dealing and the violence and so forth. I mean, there's so much more. It's undeniable that that's a part of it. Yeah. But there's so much more that we can share mm-hmm. about Latin American history, Latin American culture, and especially that if people perceive that to be like a, a, a very prevalent A problem or something that Latin America is identified with, it has a background. Mm -hmm. So it was originated historically somewhere. And what I pose very often in these texts and what I aim to pose in my research is that all of those things are related to unequal distributions of power. We don't just like enjoy being in that situation, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think that film is not necessarily something that is far away, much less for a film that is very often perceived to be some sort of escape or some sort of uh, allegory for things that, that they are not removed from either contesting or reinforcing that. It's been quite the ride and it's been really, really interesting. So right now I'm writing about Latin American witches,
0: oh, okay,
1: <laughs> which is really fun.
0: Uh, Could you tell us maybe a couple of interesting things that you have found during your research, about witches specifically?
1: Well, I originally started, actually the whole project started because I wanted to explore a little bit in Latin American films how the satanic and the idea of Satanic cult and witchcraft and so on was represented. And then I started finding that it is impossible to, to just talk about a Christian kind of paradigm because a lot of beliefs that were present before colonial times were not necessarily understood like Satan and so forth. I mean, there, there were things that were introduced later. So that has shifted a whole a whole other kind of like concept about witchcraft. Mm -hmm. Uh, especially now because it has become, you know, it seems like there is a very unequivocal idea of what a witch is so I this this has taken me in any number of ways like uh, from the historical part and then what it had to do with the distribution of working forces for example so there is a phenomenon that is not necessarily only the magic part of it but everything that has to do with how society started becoming or allocating who would get to have which place in society so I think that that has become one of the one of the most interesting parts that I've found about witchcraft being just a reason or some sort of, well, I wouldn't say excuse, but some sort of concept that helped those processes. In a Latin American context, I have found also that we weren't, I mean, Latin America wasn't influenced uh, in the same way that the witch hunts and the witch trials were even in the U.S., they didn't take the same forms, but certainly I found all sorts of interesting things that have to do with the way in which religions started informing each other, what happened with the flow of people, because we've had, of course, a number of different population movements. Mm-hmm. All of that responds to a much more difficult, but very challenging and very interesting way of looking at witchcraft. I mean, it might not even apply. That's what I, I'm. So far, I'm questioning whether that would apply even yeah. for Latin America, because we idea, the idea that we have about witches is very tied to the European witch i think it's become like such an interesting endeavor because everything keeps pointing me in different directions and i keep reading and i can finding like really fascinating accounts and people are recuperating the witch so much these days
0: there's this um uh, gender component also to your research yeah why is it important to consider this part also why not look at horror in general
1: yeah there's a very rich especially english spoken material, Uh, certainly more in other languages, more and more. But I think that the research that is developed around horror as a genre is so rich in the sense that it can be analyzed from a point of view that has to do with cultural and social norms, with the historical perspective, with even a distribution perspective that is super interesting, and many other ways. But I think the scholarship that is developed, especially with the feminist reading, would really benefit from a perspective that is also allocated. I mean, I'm not saying that it doesn't exist, but I I think that my contribution to it uh, or what I want to do is to involve not only, you know, like feminist readings and feminist critique of these materials, but something that also accounts for this other very important axis of Latin America, which is, you know, our colonial past. And how is it that it pervades? And how is it that it also affects the ways in which we look at gender? Mm-hmm. Because it certainly, it, I mean, in, in my line of research and, and the, the sources that I drink from, the tie between both is undeniable. So this tendency of thinking that uh, certain things are represented, for example, take the, the, the idea about zombies. It's very linked to a colonial past, the British Empire, the exploitation of working forces in the Caribbean. And while that's incredibly important, then you have that other component that the ways that we look at gender are also influenced by colonial uh, views. So while people might say that, you know, okay, that's very far away in the past, and it is, there are certain. Perspectives that I think could really enrich the way in which we read and understand representations in horror because of those intersections. So the way in which we look at gender in, um, informed by colonially imposed views, and that's what I want to kind of like unearth. And there's so much in respect to gender and horror, and like, and especially now because of this, a lot of prominence of female directors of women that are participating that are participating in new features and theories content that are also you know like uh, well people that are not male that identify as not male in any way um, and that's very exciting so I think that the turning tide is very called for so I am really excited just to be a part of it <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean that's what I want to be to be doing eventually
0: yeah um, what is uh, in your opinion real-life horror
1: mm. Yeah, because I mean, I think that we're not very far from, from things that are horrific, especially now with such an incredibly high rate of violence everywhere you go. Mm-hmm. I think that that in itself is really horrific. But I think the acts the cells are horrific. And I am just like, heartbroken to follow uh, new cycles that show that people are under constant fear. Mm. And it's like a very real threat. It's not something supernatural. But on the other hand, I, what I find really horrifying is when people are willingly silent about it. That there is, you know, like, no, but that doesn't happen. It was just an exception. Yeah. And when those things are kind of snubbed or, or ruled out as being something that doesn't affect you because you live far away, for example. Yeah. Or that happens in this other place. That's what I find also very scary. Yeah. Because the act themselves and people that commit them feed off that indifference.
0: Yeah, that's a that's that's a good one. That's a good one. Um So one of one of the important components of horror I think is music. But at the same time I <laughs> think music is one of the important components of your own life. What what can you tell about that?
1: Uh, my husband asked me, like, how come you never really did anything academic music? And I, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised that I'm not even focusing that or centering that in my research. But I think it's because it's a huge part in my life. As you, well, as you already know, I was working for Rolling Stone magazine for quite a number of years, almost seven. Um, so it's been an incredibly big part of my life since growing up and working with it. So I still, of course, have it in a very important place. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I guess a little bit of, you know, maybe not looking at it academically is me being a little bit protective of the memories and protective of the experiences that I have with music. It is such a such a fantastic experience to watch things that especially with horror films you know because as as you probably will share with me when we were younger they always had them on loop you know like those 80s features like Remlins or the ghostbusters yeah. know, on channel 5
0: Yes indeed yeah <laughs> channel 5 yes and
1: yeah, and Nightmare on Elf Street and all these songs. that weren't necessarily like Saturday night or Sunday night. And looking at them as an academic, of course, details, looking at them differently. So I'm not sure I would want to do that with music in the sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah,
1: because yeah, because of the emotional part of it. But
0: yeah, to dissect it, you know. Yeah. Speaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you got to, you got the chance of during that that period. You got the chance to meet. Some of very important people, musically speaking, for you, I suppose.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was such an enriching experience, and I still have really good memories and some autographed stuff okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> from those from those times. It was so enriching when you when you interview someone and you encounter a public figure. You know, you always see the what is being uh, referred to in the media and how people perceive that person yeah. or that yeah. um, And then when you get a chance to and a much especially when it's longer uh, interviews, it's such a giving experience because then you have the chance to not only talk about records or or things that are very clear that they are probably touring or are promoting or something, but to kind of have that interaction, on a more human level, was always so satisfying, and I treasure those experiences so much, even the embarrassing ones.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to ask about those.
1: Well, <laughs> well, there's one that is not, it's, it's embarrassing, but it's kind of cute. It's kind of funny, I think. Okay. Because, um, <laughs> you know, like I was looking forward, there was this festival. I don't remember exactly which. So we had an enormous roster of backstage interviews, and there was St. Vincent, you know, Annie Clark. And I really wanted to interview her. Like I was just ecstatic. And we had this interview, and she was so generous and such a smart uh, interviewee. And I was having like a very lovely time. And she was very, very kind. And by the end, because I was one of the, the last people to interview her, um, I just got up and had my purse on my lap. So I never, I hadn't noticed that it was. I mean, I was already really nervous and kind of starstruck. <laughs> But I kept my cool and by the end I just lost all my cool because all the stuff in my handbag just fell to the floor. Uh-huh. They were just like everywhere and I was panicking. And one of my friends was trying to help me pick everything up and it was just like, Oh and Annie just turned out turned at me and she's like, Are you okay? And I like, Yes, yeah, yes, I am sorry And just like between <laughs> laughing and crying, I'm like Help. And I managed to pick everything up and, um, <laughs> and just get up with my dignity intact or almost intact. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she was so kind all throughout, but I think the only one panicking was me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. That's, a nice, that's a nice one. And for sure, those are the ones that say, I can understand why you say, I want to keep those as as emotions, as memories.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh. There's also, so your name, your full name is Valeria Villegas Lindval,
1: mm-hmm.
0: And that's not a very Mexican last name, I think.
1: <laughs> no.
0: Yeah, and it comes from your husband.
1: Yes. Yeah. In fact, he we have the last names, the same last name. So, so he is also Villegas Lindval.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, a, it becomes like a kind of family name.
1: Exactly. So we decided that we didn't want to lose my name. I was just also uh, yeah. out of uh, that principle of having both being just as important in a way that would be a double name. And I'm, I'm really happy because then we are both, we wanted to wait until we could both be represented Indeed. in the family name. So the equal, uh, yeah, the equality component of it was very important to us.
0: Yeah. That's, so you, you married recently and then and maybe because of these reasons, but you've been together for quite a while.
1: Yeah, was 10 years.
0: Almost 10 years. That's, yeah, that's quite, that's quite a while. How did you meet?
1: I, the first time I wasn't here, actually. <laughs> I was an exchange student and I was studying film. That's also the way in which uh, I started in this uh, academic part of my life. So we met then and then it was kind of a very lovely compilation of both because it was the personal side that, of course, kept pulling me to Sweden. But the working part, the part that has to do with my academic career and knowing that I wanted to work within Swedish academia in that for me, it felt like the perfect place to develop research came hand in hand. I think it was just such a lovely conflation of both because it is the personal but also doing what I love that have kept me coming back to Sweden. Yeah.
0: yeah. What is his name, by the way? I should have asked this before.
1: Johan, I guess, but people, people pronounce it differently here. Yeah.
0: So Yo- Johan so, would be the, the equivalent.
1: Yeah, exactly. But it is, and on the daily, he goes by Yuan. <laughs> yeah exactly okay. I, you know, the Swedish pronunciation is always very charming, but
0: not always very not very straightforward, straightforward I think not very straightforward <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you have this component of living now in Sweden with your husband. you are now a family, of course but uh, but us uh, mm-hmm. for us as Latin Americans, the family is always an important uh, component. um does your family still live in Mexico?
1: Yeah, they, they're they still living there. And I mean, of course, I miss them every day. And I'm the only one that is displayed
0: <laughs> the at the moment. The rest of them are there. Yeah. Your your parents yeah, only? Do you have siblings?
1: I have one sister. Uh, and she is also living in, in Mexico. She is only one year younger. Mm-hmm. She is just amazing. And I miss her a lot. But uh, yes, the, the thing about going back and forth has always been something that we're aware of. So this this displacement is, yeah, you probably have that experience as well, but you know that it's a possibility, but it's not always a speed, but yeah, you know.
0: And how do you find yourself in the Swedish way of living?
1: I think it hasn't been that difficult. I mean, some some things are cultural clashes that you never stop having, even if it's like simple things. You always find like, oh, but this was different in Mexico. But things that we take for granted, especially as Mexicans, you know, loving the country, absolutely. But also being really aware that things like bureaucratic processes, for example. Yeah, that take yeah. forever or people and the supermarket that take forever <laughs> and here people are very effective and i think sweets are kind of famous for that aren't they they're very straightforward and very uh effective and very kind they certainly are i think they really it really lives up to this idea of playing by the rules mm-hmm. but things that we take for granted um office supply stores papelerias you know yeah.
0: i was thinking about yeah. that yeah.
1: Because I need it, I think, I don't know, like if you need a pen or tape, going to a supermarket feels so strange, I don't know, stuff that you would get uh, in a smaller store that is not necessarily a supermarket, but some others you don't know where to get, like I have been coming back and forth <clears throat> to Sweden for 10 years, and not not even now do I know where to find ribbon. Like I've been asking okay. people, like where can I find a colored ribbon? Nobody knows. Now
0: yeah, probably no internet. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and that's usually the resource. Like, why don't you, you know, offer like, um, order it from the internet? And I'm like, but I want to go to a place where I they want have to feel me. it,
0: I like, want to touch it. <laughs>
1: I want to go, yes, like, I want to see the color in person. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so, I mean, funny.
1: those little things are very, I mean, they're just like incredibly silly problems, but I think that's when you feel it the most that you're so accustomed to certain things. Yeah. Uh, my experience here has been so enriching but also so welcoming uh, but of course I miss Mexico so much <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. what do you think besides family what do you think you miss the most
1: I think uh, I think I'm just going to go with the with the most uh, Mexican answer ever and say the food
0: yeah of course I really
1: miss
0: <laughs> the food <laughs> saying, aside from family and food
1: <laughs> and food yeah I mean I really miss the food and there's nothing like you know eating the stuff that your grandma makes
0: of course uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> very well Um, okay I think uh, the time is up for today Uh, Valeria I want to uh, thank you very much for uh, taking the time for uh, this call
1: thank you so much it was such a lovely chat and I hope we can do it again soon
0: yes you're welcome anytime yeah well uh, if people would like to get in touch with you or follow your work where can they do that
1: well, actually, I, I write for several outlets now, but I think the safest would be my Twitter handle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Probably. Yeah. I mean, it's at Morena de Fuego. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is, uh,
0: yeah. Okay. We will. Uh, yeah. I will put it anyway in the in the description. So people would like to yeah just say hi or or follow what you are doing, um, then they can go and look there.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Okay. Very well. So um, this is the time for today. Uh, Thank you very much again, Valeria. And talk to you next time. Thank
1: you. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening. You can find us on Instagram and SoundCloud at Coffees Ready Podcast. Your feedback is always welcome. Tell us what you liked and what could be improved. This will make the show better every time. The music is Happy Rock by bensound.com. The cover photography is by Anis Prat from Unsplash and the logo and episode cover design is by Patricia Heredia. My name is Francisco Heredia, until the next time.